Once again, welcome to worship this morning. If you are visiting and, and, and not wanting to like go out through the snow, totally understandable. Uh, just want to let you know, I'm, I'm Pastor Dan. I'm the pastor here at Calvary, and I would just like to welcome each and every one of you to worship this morning. Today, we start our series through Colossians. Now, the issue of the Colossian church was that it had been invaded by Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, they were, they were a group of, of people who considered themselves of higher intellect than the lowly and simple-minded Christians. Gnostics, through a convoluted process of reasoning and theories, did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was or that he did what he said he did. The reasoning of their higher intellect led them to believe that Jesus was not with God during creation. They believed that the, incar they, they believed that the incarnation, God becoming man, was not real. And they believed that Christ was not enough, that his death could not pay for the sins of the world. As these beliefs began to infiltrate the Colossian church, Epaphras, the church planter and a convert from Paul's time in Ephesus, reached out to Paul for help. And we'll spend the next months working through this letter that Paul sent in response. The theme of this letter is the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ as the head of all creation and the church. There is not a book in the New Testament, including John's Gospel, that presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. We've titled the sermon series, The Roots of Our Hope, because it is Christ who is our hope. His supremacy is the cornerstone of our hope, and so all our hope is built out of Christ being who he says he is, and having done what he said he did, and being able to keep the promises that he has made. Without the supremacy of Christ, a Christian has no hope. So let the roots of our hope grow deep in the fertile soil of God's word as we work our way through this beautiful and amazing book. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. We read the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle from Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up in you for in heaven, or sorry, stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That sends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. 
As many of you know, my father runs a fishing boat up in Alaska on which he and his crew catch salmon for about four weeks during the summer up in Bristol Bay. I've spent quite a few summers fishing on that boat. After a long day of fishing, once the delivery is done, we drive the boat into the mouth of the river where the water doesn't get quite as rough, and, and so you aren't bouncing around while you're trying to eat your meal, and also it's quite a bit easier to sleep. There's something incredibly satisfying about getting out on the bow of the boat and sinking the anchor. Sometimes it's frustrating because your anchor doesn't want to catch, and, and the current of the river will, will pull you in the direction that it's going, and if you get too close to other boats, you have to pull it up and, and go farther upstream so you can drop the anchor and try again. But once that anchor catches, you feel the whole boat kind of tug against it and then test its weight against it and then settle, and then there's peace. The gentle lapping of the water against the hull, the cry of a seagull, the splash of a fish jumping, laughter coming from the boats around you, and the smell of the meal you're about to eat wafting out the cabin. It's beautiful. One thing about an anchorage in a, in a river mouth during the summer in Alaska is that you always know if the tide is coming in or if it's going out. Normally, when, when we think of a river, we think of the river flowing into the bay, right? Flowing into the ocean, flowing into a bigger body of water, and going in one direction. But when you're that close to the mouth of a bay, the river is still affected by the tide. So even though you're in a river, and, and the river is supposed to flow one direction, when the tide is coming in, the water in the river will flow the other way. So you can tell the way the river is flowing based off of which direction of the, the, all the boats sitting on anchor are pointing. And when the tide turns, when it goes from coming in to going out, all the boats turn with it. And so when the tide turns, your boat spins. And there are times when that change in direction loosens the anchor. And when the anchor is loosened, the boat goes adrift, carried by the currents. There have been many an occasion when I've been sound asleep in my bunk, and I've just about been knocked out of it by a huge, loud collision. Bang! And I run out onto the deck, and, and there is some other boat being carried by the current, by the tide whose anchor is dragging. Sometimes they know it. And there are shadows of the men on their deck trying to figure out how to address the situation, trying to, to bring up their anchor and, and make sure they're not going to be banging into anybody else. And sometimes that bang woke them up too. Sometimes your anchor line is dragging and you start drifting over other people's anchor lines. And soon everyone's anchors are dragging and everyone is trying to blame everyone else while trying to cover up the name of your boat and hope that they don't manage to recognize you in the darkness. Because it's embarrassing when your anchor is dragging. Having been on both ends, I know that it's embarrassing. And it can make it hard to sleep at night. If you don't have faith 
in your anchor. If you don't trust your anchor, there's no peace. Any little noise, any aberrant wave, any abnormal bump, and you're out of bed to see if you're drifting, to see if you're bearing down on someone, to see if you're about to be embarrassed again. The Christians in the church of Colossae are embarrassed. Jesus isn't real. There's no way that he could possibly be all the things that he says he is, spout the Gnostics in their midst. Look at us. Look at us with our superior intellect. We are the smart ones. We are the ones that rely on logic and on reason. And, and look at you. You're the simple-minded who have put your, man, your faith in a man and in stories that defy both. And so the tides and the currents swing the boat of the Colossian Christians. They're being jerked around by the changing tides and by the wind and the waves. Will their anchor hold? Or will they be further embarrassed? Will they face further humiliation? Will the skeptics and the aggressors, will the Gnostics, those who say that Jesus, Jesus isn't real, that he couldn't possibly have done what Christians believe him to have done, will they be proven right? Will the Christian's anchor hold? As we see the turmoil and the attack on the Colossian church, we recognize that these arguments did not stop with the Gnostics in Colossae. There are still many who question the validity of the Bible, many who openly doubt the divinity of Jesus, many who argue that while our beliefs make for great stories, they logically, reasonably cannot be true. And so ultimately, we are foolish for believing them. And as we wander a world where aggression towards what we believe is popular and even encouraged, where Christians are mocked, where so much of the Bible has been taken out of context and watered down so that it no longer carries the taste of truth. We live in a world where people tell Christians what Christians believe before we get the opportunity to show them what we believe. And so as we wander this world, we have plenty of opportunity to feel discouraged or even embarrassed. And we're not just discouraged by those who do not share our beliefs, for we live in a world where suffering is real. Where hardship happens, we live in a world that is afflicted by sickness and pain, both mental and physical. We live in a world where Murphy's Law, which states if something can go wrong, it will go wrong, is not just a bad joke, but all too often is reality. Our world is broken, broken by sin. And though at times we may be able to avoid the aggression and disdain from the people in the world around us, we cannot avoid, cannot escape the sin that lives inside us and has broken the creation that we abide in. And as we face the storms of life, as we face the waves and the seas, as the currents shift and as the anchors of the boats lose their holds and we are jostled by those around us, Woken with a bang, we wonder, will my anchor hold? Will my anchor hold? Will I be okay or will I be embarrassed? How can I live in the way that I'm supposed to live when I don't have peace in my anchor? If I can't trust that it will hold. Paul seeks to address these questions in the beginning of his letter to the church in Colossae, which is our text this morning. 
Paul is encouraging the Colossian church to trust in their anchor. We read, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. We, your brothers and sisters in the faith, thank God for you as we pray for you, writes Paul. We have heard of how you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and how you have loved your neighbor. Paul is affirming their faith and he is telling them that they are being prayed for and that they are not alone. But it is this next line that I want to focus on this morning. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Faith, hope, and love are mentioned numerous times in Scripture and are seen as sort of an apostolic shorthand for Christianity. This is how people know who Christians are, their faith, where they put their hope and their love for their neighbor. Furthermore, none of these qualities can be manufactured by man. They are all given to us. They all come from God. And that is the order that we typically see them in, that we are used to seeing them in, faith, hope, and love. But what order does Paul put them in here at the beginning of this letter to the hurting, possibly doubting Colossian church? Faith, love, and hope. He puts hope at the end. He puts hope in the place of emphasis. And then where does he tie the hope? To what does he anchor the hope? The hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Your hope isn't anchored in the present world that you live in, writes Paul. Your hope is stored up for you in heaven. And this has been accomplished through the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of his work on your behalf. Paul anchors the hope of the Christian in Jesus Christ. He anchors our hope in the one that the Gnostics mock and our world denies. Paul anchors the hope of the Christian in the Son of God. He anchors our hope in the one who loves us so much, who loves the unlovable, who knows all that we have ever done wrong and all that we will ever do wrong, the one who has been deeply hurt by the sin that we have committed and by the doubt that we have voiced, by the darkness that we have embraced. And instead of rightfully casting us aside, instead of rejecting us like he had every right to do, instead of giving us the expulsion that our hearts and our actions deserve, Jesus came to us, suffered alongside us, and died for us in our place. We gave him every excuse to abandon us, and he took each of those excuses upon himself and he carried them to the cross, and there he died for each one of us. There he died for the sin of the world, the price that had to be paid. And Christ was the only one who could clear the debt. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And conquering sin and death, he cleared the hurdle between God and man. He crossed the chasm and has become the bridge. And through the faith and through faith in Him, we are reconciled to God. Through faith in Jesus, the dirty rags of our sin have been cast aside and we are clothed in the robes 
of Christ's righteousness. Through Christ we are forgiven. Christ is our anchor. Christ is our hope. Paul writes about it here in, the Colossian, in Colossians, but we see it also from the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 20, a portion of what Karen read for Scripture this morning. People swear by something greater than themselves, we read. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wants to make the unchanging nature of, the, of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what is promised. He, of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And now let's look at verse 19 here. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Because Jesus, before Jesus came, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary in the temple, was separated from the rest of the temple by a large, thick curtain. The only person that could go behind the curtain was the high priest, and he could only do this one day a year. If you went in and were not the high priest or anyone entered on the wrong day, they would be struck dead instantly. The high priest would enter with a rope tied around his waist and bells sewn into his clothing so that if he died, the bells would stop jingling and people could pull him out since they could not go in and physically remove the body. That's how serious the situation was. And here in Hebrews, we have this picture of Jesus going behind the curtain and anchoring our soul firm and secure to the throne of God. For Jesus entered on our behalf. He went where we could not go and he attached us to the Father. So often when we think of hope, we think of a fragile, tender thing. So often when we think of hope, we think of what we want but are not sure that we will receive but that fragile hope is not the hope we read about in Hebrews. And that tender hope is not the hope Paul proclaims to the Colossian church. Let us rest in the hope that Scripture proclaims. When you drop an anchor on a boat, you don't know what it's holding on to. There's a measure of faith. The water is, is dark and murky. You can't see the bottom. You don't know what you're above. And because though the anchor may feel secure, you can't be sure that what it's connected to is firm. You can't see through the water. You could be securely on a rock, but you could also be in the sand, and sometimes the sand will give way. You could be caught in some weeds, and sometimes the weeds will give way. How can you trust what your anchor has fastened to when you can't see it? How can you trust that it is secure? As we wrestle with these questions, let us find peace and security in the answers. Our hope in Christ is secure. Though waves come and threaten to pull the anchor loose, it will not yield. Though currents change, Though storms rage, though winds blow, the anchor holds. Though culture shifts, 
Though sin abounds, though struggle remains, the anchor holds. The hope proclaimed in Scripture is firm and secure. It is not complex, and it does not rely on us. Instead, it relies on the author and perfecter of our faith, our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom our faith and our hope rests. Though those on the boat struggle, though we worry about the anchor, though we may feel unworthy of such an anchor, Though we have to rest in faith because we can't see through the murky water and though we may struggle with that faith at times, though doubt may attack us, and though the world around us becomes a convincing distraction, none of that affects the ability of our anchor. As the storm of life assails you, as you struggle against those who seek to discredit what you believe, And where you have put your hope, know that Christ will not let you down. Christ has anchored you through his blood and the faith that he has given you to the throne of God. And nothing can overcome the hold that Jesus has on God and the hold that Jesus has on you. Christ is our anchor. Christ is our hope. Let us rest in him. Amen.